happens last week is when this happened, okay? Right, Al? Just not, there you go, he's not, all right. And he was walking along uh, the beach there at Lake Mead, you know, trying to, maybe you're reminiscing from that uh, prior time when you guys got stuck there, you know, the boat went away. But anyway, that's right. So he's walking along the beach there at Lake Mead, and, and you know, Candy, he's out of, she's still out of town, so Al, he's a guy, what do you do? Man, you got to get out of the house, you got to do something. So that's what he's doing, he's walking along the beach there, and so he's walking along, and all of a sudden, there at Lake Mead, he stumbles across this old lamp. So what's he do, John? He rubs that baby, you know what I'm saying? He rubs that lamp there, and all, out pops this genie, right? And the genie said this, he goes, oh, okay, all right, all right. I said, you release me from the lamp, blah, 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 blah. This is the fourth time this month I'm getting a little sick and tired of these wishes, so you can forget about three, you only get one. And so Al says, okay, I can just get one. So uh, he thinks about it, and he goes, all right, here's my wish. I I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but you see, I'm scared to fly, and I get very seasick, you know, being a former Navy SEAL, but anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> He says, uh, here's my wish. Could you build me a bridge all the way to Hawaii so that I could drive out there just to visit? And the genie, he laughs at Al, and he goes, are you crazy? Well, what's wrong with you? That's impossible. Think of the logistics of that. I mean, how would the supports ever reach the bottom of the Pacific? I mean, think about how much concrete there would be, how much steel. He says, no, I'm sorry. You better think of another wish. And so Al goes, okay. He says, well, my wife Candy always says that I don't care, and I'm insensitive. Okay, apparently. And so he says, so here's what I wish. I wish I could understand women. You know, how they feel inside and, and what they're actually thinking when they give me the silent treatment and, and to know why they're crying and to know what they really want when they say nothing. And you know, how to make them truly happy. That's my wish. That's what I want. And so the genie asks Al, um, do you want that bridge two lanes or four? <laughs> Three brave men, thank you. Can I hitch a ride with you after service? But that's right. <laughs> Folks, how many guys would say, man, dare as we try, there are just some things in life that not even a genie is going to be able to fix for us, right? You know what I'm saying? Start pouring the concrete because uh, some things just aren't going to happen, okay? But here's the point, folks. Did you know the whole planet, one day, the Bible says they're going to wish they had a genie, if you will, to fix their problem just like that. And the Bible says that's going to happen at the rapture of the church. And because they refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are going to be catapulted into the seven-year tribulation, and that is not a joke. Okay, it's not some genie story, okay? It is an outpouring of God's wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24, it's gonna be a time of greater horror that this world has ever seen or will ever see again. And listen, unless God was merciful and shortened that time frame, not one person on the planet would survive. But as we've been seeing, God is not just a God of wrath, i.e. dishing out his justice, which is a good thing, as we've been seeing over and over again. That means that nobody gets away with nothing. All the evils and the atrocities that go on in this world, God is going to have the last word on it. Okay, that's good. But he's not just a God of wrath or justice. He is a God of love as well. And because he loves you and I, he's given us so many warning signs to let us know when the tribulation was near and the second coming of Jesus Christ was rapidly approaching. Therefore, to keep you and I from experiencing the ultimate bad day of being left behind, we're going to continue our study. That's right, the final countdown. Okay, we've already seen, if you've been tracking with us, we've already seen the number 10 sign. Because remember, that's right, Orson, it's a countdown. Uh, the number 10 sign was the Jewish people. The number nine sign was modern technology. The number eight sign was worldwide upheaval. And last time we were in this, we saw the number seven sign was the rise of falsehood. And what we saw was the Bible clearly foretold God out of love warned us that when you see on the planet an increase of false Christ, remember that? All those people claiming to be Jesus? Okay, that's happening right now. And an increase of false myths where people would actually start, even in the church, actually start trying to seek truth out outside of the Bible to where you would even say, I saw Jesus on a French fry. Hey, as funny, as comical, as weird as that is, the Bible says when you see that happen, you better wake up, man, because it's an indicator from God. You are living in the last days. But that's not all the third end time prophecy concerning the rise of falsehood is the Bible's very clear, folks. You're going to see, like never before, an increase of false teachings. It is going to be a time of utter deceit that this planet has, cannot even dream of, okay, because the enemy is going to do what it takes to keep our blinders on unfortunately, so we don't figure out what he's doing because it's all right there in the Bible. But this is what Jesus said. Let's take a look at the text. Matthew 24, verses 3 through 4, verses 10 through 11, and 23 through 25. Notice how many times Jesus is going to use this word again and again, deceit, deceit, deceit. Here's what he says. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? We've been here before, but here's my whole point. We've talked about wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and earthquakes. What's the very first thing Jesus says, though, 
on this list when they asked the question. He said, watch out that no one what? Deceives you. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many, not just some, many false prophets will appear and what? Deceive hardly anybody. Many people is what he says there. At that time, we saw this last time. If anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, Jesus says. He says, for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles, and here he says it again, to what? Deceive, now listen how powerful it is. To deceive even the elect, that's us, if that were possible. And so he says, listen, hey, hello, see, I've told you ahead of time. It's been there in the Bible, warning from Jesus for the last 2,000 years. The very first thing out of Jesus' mouth, to me, this is, this is the, <laughs> if you only had one thing to say, apparently this is the top of the list, that Jesus said, here's an indicator that you were living in the last days, you better get motivated, is it's gonna be a time of massive, massive deceit, right? Once, twice, thrice, he says it there, a great massive deception. In fact, so much so, he reported and repeatedly warned us about it again and again, and he says right there, it's gonna be promoted, this deceit, by the false Christ, which we've already seen, or false prophets and their false teachings, okay? And it's such a powerful deception that it even comes close to being a stumbling block for the church. Okay, and that's what he says right there, okay? And so that's what we're gonna do. Jesus says, you've got to be on your guard, church. You better see to it that nobody deceives you, Christian, in the last days with their false teachings. And so that's what we're gonna do. Over the next several weeks, William, we're gonna take a look at several different false teachings. Listen, there's always been false teachings from the get-go. You read the New Testament, they were getting there right after, uh, the, after the birth of the church. Here comes the false teachers. But what we're going to deal with is specifically the false teachings, the massive rise of false teachings that have appeared recently. And they're all geared for this. We're going to see, folks, they're not just a sign that we are living in the last days, massive deceit on this planet. But we're going to see that these are the specific false teachings that are needed to build the Antichrist kingdom, okay? And the first false teaching that has arisen in these last days that's needed to build the Antichrist kingdom is the lie of evolution, the lie of evolution. Folks, I'm here to tell you evolution. This is not just a battle of worldviews. Well, that's what you Christians believe, and that's what we believe. But I'm there's so much more to this. I'm telling you, this is what I came out of a new age, man. And we're just getting started today, okay? Evolution not only undermines everything we believe in the Bible, from not just the first page forward, Genesis, but the very first verse from the very first page forward. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God is the one who created the heavens and earth. It undermines everything that we believe in. But listen, over the next several weeks, we're going to see it's this lie of evolution that is needed in the last days, listen, as we will see, Lord willing, to justify the murder of billions, not millions, billions of people on the planet, two, to explain away the rapture of the church from the planet, and three, to get people to think that those who are left behind, that that's a great thing. You need evolution. We'll see that later uh, to pull all three of those lies off. But let's first demonstrate just how much we've been lied to so that we are not falling for this deceit that Jesus warned about. You better be on your guard. Remember, it's such a powerful lie that if we don't get a handle on God's truth, even this evolution could cause us to stumble. But there's no need for that, folks. The first way we know evolution is a lie is the evidence of intelligent design. Okay, the Bible's very clear about this. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is our opening text here to read. Romans chapter 1. Romans, of course, was written by... Hi, really, you guys didn't even hesitate on that. Okay, it was written where? To whom? Okay, you guys are really on the ball. Man, you're scaring me, but that's right. Romans chapter 1, I stalled enough time there. And uh, we're going to just read, certainly, verses 18 through 20. And let's take a look. You know, the Bible talks about the seven-year tribulation. It's kind of a bad time. It's a, it's a time where God pours out his wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet. How many guys would say that's not a good thing? Right? He's going to tell us one of the reasons why his wrath is coming in this passage. And folks, I'm telling you, it's all about the lie of evolution. They're trying to suppress the truth about God's existence. Let's take a look. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 says this. The wrath of God, verse 18 there, is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who what? Suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. Well, how? Here's how we did it. 
For since the creation of the world, okay, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been what? Made so that men are without excuse, okay? Can I translate that for you? In other words, nobody on the planet is gonna stand before God and say, well, God, I just, you can't judge me, God. I just had, I just, there wasn't enough evidence for me uh, to know that you were real. Excuse me? This is what he's saying here. The evidence for his existence is in everything that he has made, i.e. his creation. And how many guys would say that everybody on this planet has the opportunity to be a part of his creation? It's kind of a package deal, Tom. If you're on the planet, it's part of creation, whatever, anyway, okay. But, okay. And believe it or not, folks, this is the argument of intelligent design, which basically states this. If you see design in something, that implies a designer okay let me give you an example i've said this before but this one to me is pretty common sense if i were to say today driving in here with the little kids the crumb snatchers is the code word there and i was coming here pulling into the to the uh parking lot here and i saw something that in that uh, uh right across the street there in that empty lot there something gleamed in the uh, in the dirt there john and it was like whoa what's that so i'm a guy like al we got to go inspect it right and so i go over there and jenna it was this watch can you believe it and it wasn't just a watch, but I am, what if I would really say this? I am firmly convinced the reason why that watch just spontaneously appeared in the dirt there was because of the random chances of evolution. Over millions and billions of years, the, obviously, the wind and the rain and, and, and maybe some snow once in a while, uh, millions and billions of years ago, of course, and uh, not here, but anyway, and, and then the, uh, somewhere along the line, a lightning bolt, boom, hit it, and the stick, boom, wow, it turned out to be a watch. I saved $10.99. I didn't even have to go to Walmart. Now, here's my whole point. Obviously, I'm suggesting, but what if I were to actually come up here, Al, this morning and say that, make an announcement, guys, I'm so excited. Talk about being a wise steward for God. I saved 10.99 because I found a watch with 12 booming parts that evolved right over there. What would you say? Off your rocker, cheese is slid off your cracker. I mean, you can come up with a whole bunch of them, right? You know what I'm saying? Time to get a new pastor, get him out of the heat, it's vacation time, do something, right? Call the deacons, <laughs> right? Why? Because logically, we all know, come on, man, a watch with 12 moving parts, if even that, can't evolve by chance. Watches are made by watchmakers. Somebody designed this thing, right? That's common sense. Now, think about this, folks. Here's the question. Then why is it acceptable for an evolutionist to say that not just a watch, but our whole world, all of our bodies with 50 trillion cells in them, the whole universe, and it all shows complexity in design, did evolve by chance? And we're supposed to believe that? Hey, with all due respect, whose cheese is sliding off of whose cracker, right? Is my point, okay? And it's one thing to think this, okay? But the Bible says, listen, what did we just read in Romans chapter one? It's this suppressing of the truth about God's existence, and that's what evolution does, is one of the reasons why the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. So how many guys would say that's probably not a good thing to be promoting that? Okay, good answer, okay? So let's take a look at some of the evidence that God has left behind for us and his creation, not just to know that his existence is real, but so as Jesus said, so we would be equipped so that no one deceives us in these last days with their false teachings, especially the ones that the Antichrist needs to build his kingdom. Okay, let's just take a look. I only got time for just a little one, a few of them. Let's take a look, first of all, the human body. You tell me, if this can't evolve 12 parts by chance, this can, let's take a look, folks, at God's creation. How about our internal organs? Did you know our kidneys contain approximately 280 miles of tubes? They filter 185 quarts of water a day from our blood. How many of you guys would say that's a pretty good plumbing system? Not too bad. And as we all know, that that's how the plumbing in our houses appeared. It was over millions and billions of years. A lightning bolt uh, hit some sort of plumbing contractor and got him really motivated. And it just poof, spontaneously appeared with rocks and wind and... And that did evolve by chance? Okay, let's continue on. Did you know the heart pumps 5,000 gallons of blood a day? It beats approximately 100,800 times a day or 2,500,000,000 times in the average lifetime. I mean, that's a really cool running engine. Oh, that's right. How, how do engines happen? It, we pull into the dealership and say, have you had a car evolve lately that I could purchase? It's maybe, I'll, I'll come back another million years, okay? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have one ready to... No, they're designed, right? That's an engine that whoops all that. And that happened by chance? 
I don't think so. Hey, how about our brains? Did you know the average brain weighs about three pounds, yet it contains 12 billion cells, each of which is connected to 10,000 other brain cells, making 120 trillion connections? And on top, it's not just has that, but it also is a massive control center, like a computer. It controls hearing, sight, smell, speech, eating, resting, learning, and stores so much memory data that by the age of 40, it would take the Empire State Building full of computers just to store the same amount of information. Now, this is how Church Bliss is start, so you can read the text there. Maybe some of us a smaller building, but we won't go there, okay? Excuse me? <laughs> what? That's a brain. Is that how computers evolve over millions of years? Is that how we all got our computers and laptops? We just waited for a lightning bolt to hit Radio Shack, and hopefully they chucked enough resistors in there to cause some sort of random chance evolution to appear. And Our brain is way more complex than a computer, and yet that's supposed to evolve? Okay, hey, we're not even getting scratching the surface. Our DNA, the DNA molecule in our bodies is the most complex molecule in the whole universe, folks. The code, the code is so unbelievably complex that if you typed it all out, it would fill enough books to fill the Grand Canyon not once, not twice, 40 times. You know, the big hole over there that way? Grand Canyon, 40 times. That's the code. And as we all know, that's how programs are written today. You know the code? They just hire these people to just randomly, with their eyes closed, sit at these computers and these keyboards going, la li la li la li la li and it just out pops this code. Well, maybe that's how Windows came about. I'm not going to hear to kick on Microsoft, but to, <laughs> what? That's a program so big it could fill the Grand Canyon 40 times? What? And we're supposed to say that happened by chance? That's, that's, that's crazy. In fact, it's now known the DNA molecule is 45 trillion times more efficient than the silicon megachip, which is made by a team of who? Designers. Oh, by the way, I don't have time to get into the whole human body, okay? Uh, did you know that all of our body parts have to all be here, all fully functioning at the same time, or we're dead meticus? For those of you hooked on Southern Greek, yeah? Okay. How well, and th that, I mean, it's all complex, but you got, that all has to be there. How, how long could you live if you had only evolved one-fourth of one heart? Everything else might even be there, but you, you're dead meticus. How, how long if you only had you know, one part of one lung? What do you do? Hold your breath for a million years? And you hope it, the other one's coming. It's coming any day now. And then you're supposed to find somebody of the opposite sex and procreate, and here comes humanity. What? That's a fairy tale, okay? That's make-believe. And we'll get to that in a second. But how about the animals, okay? We're taking a look at God's creation. I only have time to deal with one, and this is one of my favorite ones, folks. How about the giraffe? Now, believe it or not, Charles Darwin actually believed that the giraffe was just a regular animal, like, you know, maybe a horse, or maybe even someone with a shorter neck than that, and that it grew a longer neck because it repeatedly had to reach the higher branches for food. Now, Ruth, I thought about this this week, and if that's true, I'm a guy who's vertically challenged, if you're wondering. Okay, I've had to reach for things all my life. If that were true, man, my arms would be nine feet long by now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, or one guy said, you know what? My moms are always reaching for stuff, kids and this and whatever. If evolution is true, they should have evolved eight arms by now. You know what I'm saying? That's not true. But that's what he believed. That's what's being taught to us. This is how it all happened. Well, let's take a look if that could ever happen by chance, okay? Uh, could it evolve a longer neck? I don't think so, folks. Let's take a look at the facts. First of all, the neck of the giraffe is about six feet long, which means that just bending over, it could explode its brain from the pressure. How many guys would say that's a serious problem? Okay, good. So how does that giraffe stay alive? Well, it just so happens the giraffe has the most powerful heart in the animal kingdom. It's two feet long. It weighs 25 pounds, and it has uh, walls that are three inches thick, okay, in its heart. But that's not all. It also just happens to come fully equipped with four safety features to keep its brain from exploding while bending over to take a drink of water. Listen to this. One, the giraffe has in, in his jugular veins a series of one-way check valves that immediately close as soon as the head is lowered. Uh, but wait a second. This puts way too much blood into the cartwheel artery, so what's it do? Well, two, it just so happens the extra blood is immediately pushed into a special spongy tissue, it just happens to have, that's located near the brain, which absorbs all that excess blood. But wait a second. This could cause a rupture in the brain. So what's it do? Well, it just so happens, if, uh, three, it produces a fluid in the brain that acts as a counterpressure to prevent the rupture from occurring. And that's right, four, just to make sure there's no other rupture uh, anywhere else in the walls of the giraffe's uh, arteries, they just happen to be thicker than any other animal. Just to take a drink of water. Excuse me? 
Folks, here's a logical question. How could this ever evolve, like Charles Darwin said? And at what stage of development could the giraffe ever survive unless all these features were fully functioning all at the same time? One of those things out of place, you just go to take a drink of water, your head blows up. Now, Al, I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy in the world, but I'm kind of thinking that giraffes with exploding heads have no babies, <laughs> which means you can't reproduce, but you have no, what? It's all been designed by God, folks. We've been lied to. How about birds? I only got time for one bird. Give it up for the woodpecker. This thing's cool, man. Okay. Did you know woodpeckers, they don't just peck on trees, annoying us and looking for food. There's much, much more than meets the eye, John. Uh, they do so at a rate of 15 to 16 times a second, okay, is what they do, which is the rate of fire twice as fast as a machine gun, meaning their head travels twice the uh, speed of a bullet. That's some serious, serious contact. Now, that's the problem. That means the force of stress on the head of the woodpeckers, you can see there, okay, is equivalent, listen, to 1,000 times the force of gravity or more than 250 times the force an astronaut experiences when taken off in a rocket. That's some serious pressure just doing that thing, right? So the question is, well, how, just like the giraffe, how does this woodpecker keep from beating his brains out? All right, that's the logical question. Well, let's take a look, uh, Ruth. Uh, it just so happens the woodpecker's skull is extra reinforced with bone. Hey, that's nice. And it just so happens the bill is stronger than most other birds, okay? And it just so happens this keeps its head and beak from being smashed to bits at the very first peck, okay? But wait a second, how about the brain? That's some serious pressure, impact, right? How does it survive the impact of its brain? Well, it just so happens in most birds, the beak is joined to the cranium, which surrounds the brain, but it just so happens the beak of the woodpecker is separated by a spongy-like tissue. Interesting, which, listen, acts as a shock absorber, which scientists say is far better than anything mankind has ever come up with. Is that how we get our car parts? Some explosion in some iron factory? And then, oh, he has shock absorber. This thing's more complex than anything we could ever come up with. Okay, and that's just the shock absorber. Okay, then to make sure the woodpecker also comes with special muscles, listen, that pull the brain case away from its beak every time it strikes the blow, 15 to 16 times a second. And then for more protection, the woodpecker comes with neck muscles that keeps its head perfectly straight. Now this is important because if that wasn't there, if its head varied the slightest, it would rip its brain right off the skull. How many guys would say that not even Excedrin would fix that one? <laughs> right? Okay, that's pretty obvious, okay? And it does it year in, year out, thousands of times, all the time, doesn't even think about it, okay? Now here's the point, folks. Um, how could this pecking ability of the woodpecker ever evolve? like we're being told? And at what stage of development could the woodpecker survive unless all these features were fully functioning all at the same time? You get one of those things wrong, your brain rips off your head. And like the giraffe, I'm kind of thinking logically, uh, woodpeckers with their uh, heads ripped off uh, have no babies. Right? Okay, one more, folks, just to give you kind of a smattering here. How about some cells and bacteria? Okay, it's extremely complex. The cell, did you know each tiny cell, folks, is a literal factory containing an elaborate network of interlocking assembly lines, each of which are composed with large protein machines bristling with high-tech machinery. In fact, just on the outside of the cell, okay, are sensors, gates, pumps, identification markers. They're jam-packed with little miniature power plants, automated workshops, and recycling units just on the outside of the cell. In fact, they have miniature monorails that whisk materials from one location to another. Now listen to this, folks. That's why it's been said that even the most advanced, automated, modern factory with all of our computers and all of our robots, all coordinated on a precisely time schedule, is less complex than the inner workings of a single cell. Excuse me? And the, apparently the so-called simplest of cells, the paramecium, that's not a footprint with bubble gum on it. That's a paramecium, okay? It's actually more complex, they now know, than the space shuttle, which, by the way, is the most complex machine that just blew up randomly by chance. Oh, I'm sorry, Al. That's right, you can read. That mankind ever built with a team of designers. Folks, I could literally spend months on the evidence that we have been lied to with this issue of intelligent design. And this is why other researchers are stating that thinking that all of life, all of that, just a few things we just saw, randomly happened by chance over millions and billions of years is about as intelligent as saying that given enough time and chance that a Scrabble factory could explode enough times until the letters eventually landed out to perfectly spell out the whole book, War and Peace. They also said it's about as logical as saying that a tornado could whip through a junkyard, leaving behind a perfectly formed Boeing 747. <laughs> That's about as logical. 
They also said one more, not just you, but you and your entire extended family are more likely to win the lottery every single week consecutively for 100 years. Not just you winning the lottery every week for 100 years in a row, every week, but you and your entire extended family win the lottery every single week consecutively for 100 years. It's more likely to believe that than it is to say for a single bacteria to ever form by chance. In fact, folks, what I'm really encouraged by, uh, the facts tell us it's not just impossible, it was designed by God. This is the evidence that he's telling for us. This is why he could say confidently, hey, nobody's gonna stand before me and say I didn't have enough evidence. No one's gonna get there without a rag of an excuse. Did you see that woodpecker? Did you see the giraffe? Did you look at yourself? Did you ever see the complexity of the cell that your body has 50 trillion? I'm real. In fact, what I'm encouraged about is scientists today even say this. Now, this is why I like this, because they have so brainwashed you and I to thinking that if you don't believe in evolution, you're not a scientist. You know, you don't value science. Excuse me, what they don't tell you is many scientists are forced to believe that there has to be a God. Okay, and that's what they're saying. Let's take a look at a couple of them. Charles Town, he's a Nobel Prize winner for physics. He said, the more we know about the cosmos, the universe, he says, the more they seem inexplicable without some aspect of intelligent design. And for me, that inspires what? Faith is what he says there. Alan Sandage, he's a winner of the Crawford Prize in astronomy, said this, I find it quite improbable that such order came out of chaos. He said, there has to be some organizing principle. God to me is a mystery, but it is the explanation for the miracle of existence. These are scientists, folks. It's not just Christians trying to go up against the system. Even within the system, people who are intellectually honest are saying, you know what? You're right. This is the handiwork of God, okay? A couple more here. Werner Arbor, he's a Nobel Prize winner from medicine. He said this, although a biologist, I must confess, I do not understand how life came about. The possibility of the existence of a creator of God represents to me a satisfactory solution to this problem, okay? Uh, George Greenstein, an astronomer, he said, is it possible that suddenly, without intending to, we have stumbled upon scientific proof for the existence of a supreme being? Listen, he says, as we survey all the evidence, the thought insistently arises that some supernatural agency must be involved. And finally, this guy said this, Tony Rothman, he's a physicist. He says, when confronted with the order and beauty of the universe, you know, the giraffe and the human body and the woodpecker and all that stuff, he says, uh, he says the, and the strange coincidences of nature, it's very tempting to take the leap of faith from science into what? Religion. Listen, I love this quote. He says, I am sure many physicists want to. I only wish they would admit it. Can I translate that for you? I only wish they would stop lying. Right? Why? Because these scientists and anybody knows, folks, that when you see design in something just like this watch, Logically, it implies common sense. It had to be designed by somebody, and that designer is God. And this is what he's saying here in Romans chapter 1, okay? He's given us no excuse to not be uh, able to know about his existence, but listen, this obvious evidence is being suppressed by the wickedness of a lie called evolution. And it's not just a sign that we're living in the last days, but it's one of the reasons why the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Because you have the audacity to suppress this evidence because God loves his creation and he wants us to know him and know him personally. But you've come up with this lie in the last days say, oh no, there is no God. And you're storing up the wrath of God. That's not a good thing to do, okay? The second one, uh, the way that we know that evolution is a lie is the evidence of a young creation. Man, have we been brainwashed on this one or not? Uh, repeat after me, folks. We have not been here for millions and billions of years. Ready, go. Been here for millions, and man, you guys are audience participation today. This is cool. Let's do some jumping jacks. This is, I'm, I'm, hey, praise, you're even doing that. Let's take Pastor Billy out for lunch. Let's just try. Yeah, you didn't move on that one, did you? But anyway, that's right. But anyway, so. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. That's how church splits just start. But anyway, that's right. We have been lied to, folks. We have not been here for millions and billions of years, and you need to understand this lie of the millions and billions of years is the Achilles heel of evolution. They have to, and for you, I, to fall for the lie, they have to have millions and billions of years, okay? Because that's what they always do. They always say, well, we, we see no evidence for this today, um, but ah, long ago and far away, millions and millions of years ago, in this primordial thing, we never saw it, nobody's ever been back there, but surely that's when it happened. 
Well, first of all, John, stop calling me Shirley. She's right there. But second of all, that's what they do. That's a fairy tale. Long ago and far away, okay, that's what they do with this millions and billions of years, okay? And is it any wonder, folks, shocker, the Bible disagrees with their time frame. Here's how long we've been here according to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 9 says this, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Now listen to what he taught them in this passage. First of all, some Pharisees came and tested him. Can you, I always love that. Can you imagine the audacity of trying to stump Jesus? <laughs> anyway, so here's what they, uh, they uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus replied, well, what did uh, Moses command you? You know, what was in the Bible? They said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus replied, hey, listen, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you that law. Okay, that wasn't God's original intent. Here's what he says. But at the what? Beginning of creation. Pay attention to that. God made them male and female. For this reason, Jesus said, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay? Now, if you're paying attention to the text there, the Bible says, Jesus, of course, the context, he's, being, uh, he's answering the question concerning marriage, and in doing so, he went back to what? He went back to the creation account. He went back to the very first account of the very first man and woman, Adam and Eve, right? Who were literal, by the way, according to Jesus, okay? He didn't say, remember those mythological characters to teach you a moral lesson? It was a literal account, okay? And notice what he said there about this very first marriage. He said it was the very first marriage because it was at the beginning of creation. Now stop and think about that. That means from the lips of Jesus himself, that he declared that the literal account of Genesis was the actual beginning point of time, right? Now, here's the point. Okay, if you start with Adam and Eve from the Bible, literally, and you add up the dates of the Bible, you get an estimated age of somewhere around 6,000 years plus or take a, a few years, okay? And I know it sounds weird, but it's because we have been lied to. There's an axiom. If you repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough, people will believe it. They've got control of the educational system now. They've got control of the media system now, which by and large is where everybody receives their information. And they've been repeating this lie over and over again, millions and billions of years, millions and billions of years. You four year old. Hey, look, millions and billions of years ago. Right. And it's oh, oh, repeat. That's the only reason why people believe it. But according to Jesus, we have only been around uh, roughly around 6,000 years. They do not teach what Jesus taught, which means they're calling him a Liar, which how many guys would say that's probably not a good thing to do? Okay, number one. And Jesus taught with a literal creation that began with a literal Adam and Eve uh, thousands of uh, years ago, about 6,000. Now, surely that's what they teach, right? No. What do they say? They're lying to us. They say that we came from the goo to the zoo to me and you over millions and millions of years, right? Complete random occurrence, right? Completely undermines everything that Jesus just stated, which means you're calling a liar. And you wonder why God says you're storing up wrath? Excuse me, you have the audacity to call my son a liar? But the question is this, okay, fine, that's all, that's fine. Let's, is this accurate, is this true? Is this dating method that they've come up with for millions and billions of years, is it dated, is it based on hardcore facts of science? <laughs> no, it's ridiculous, folks. I just love exposing this because, and hopefully you get in sense because we realize that hopefully the scales come off your eyes. We've been lied to. Yes, there is a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy against God, okay? And the first faulty way they date everything, most of, this is the number one way they do it. We'll get to the other ones here in a second. But the first way they do it is with that thing called the geologic column. Remember that from school there? You can see the picture there, okay? And, that, and, and that's what it is. It's basically the geologic column, if you recall. That's that column of dirt full of dead things, supposedly in some great proper order, which is lie number one, because that column of dirt exists nowhere on the planet in its full form. It only exists in the pictures in the textbooks, but give them that. And that's the supposed column of dirt that gives them their millions and billions of years, okay? For instance, if it's found in the so-called Jurassic layer, it's supposed to be around 200 million years old, right? But if you find it in the lower layer called the Cambrian layer, it's supposed to be around 500 million years old. Okay, that's great if you want to believe that. But if you ever stop to think about this, how do they know that? 
Was there a, a date attached? Was it stamped on there, Ruth, with a date that said, this maid was made in 500 million years ago in China? No, I'm, this layer has a date that says 200. Yes, we know comfortably. It says it right there on the tag, Al. Don't dispute that. They've made the whole thing up. There's no evidence. They made the thing up to give them billions of years. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, folks, listen to how they date it. Okay, the, the way that they say they know those layers are 500 million years old, when you ask them, they will say, well, that's because of the index fossils we find in that layer. But then if you ask them, well, how old do you know that index fossil was to give you the date for that layer? Well, we know it because of the layer it was found in. I am not making this up. This is how much we've been lied to. It's called circular reasoning, and folks, I'm not kidding you. They even admit it. Creationists train their children. They'll even test these guys in the museums with this question. How could you say that you date the layers by the rocks, but you date the rocks by the layers? It's, a, it's, a, it's cheap entertainment if you want to try it, okay? They have no question. Believe it or not, folks, they even admit it. Let's take a look at their circular reasoning they use for this dating method, okay? Uh, J.E. Rourke in the American Journal of Science, he admits it. Here's what he said. The procession of life was never witnessed. It was inferred. Can I translate that? We made it up, okay? That's what he's saying there. He said the rocks do date the fossils, but the fossils date the rocks more accurately. <laughs> what? It's a direct quote, folks. He says, the intelligent layman, that's you and I, had long suspected circular reasoning in the use of rocks to date fossils and fossils to date rocks. Listen, the geologist has never bothered to think of a good reply, feeling that the explanations are not worth the trouble as long as the work brings the results. Excuse me? Oh, but that's not all. Uh, Niles Elwich in the American uh, Museum of Natural History in New York, he said this, and this poses something of a problem. Yes, I would agree, okay? He says, if we date the rocks by their fossils, then how can we then turn around and talk about patterns of evolutionary change through time in the fossil record? Yeah, how can you do that? That's a great question, Shirley. Okay, but believe it or not, folks, they even admit it and say, hey, that's how it works, man. This is a direct quote here. Dr. Don Fisher, from, he's a state paleontologist, evolutionist from New York. He was asked by Luther Sunderland this question. He says, how do you date the fossils? Where'd you come up with this? Listen to this. Here's what he said. He said, well, by the Cambrian rocks in which they were found. And so he challenged him on it, and he asked him, was this not circular reasoning? Direct quote, Fisher replied, of course. How else are you going to do it? And this is supposed to be science. You guys are crazy, whacked out, fundamentalist Christians saying that we've only been around for 6,000 years. Don't you know that hardcore science has proven we've been here for millions and billions? We've been lied to, folks. Okay, but you might be out there going, okay, Pastor Billy, that's the main one they use, geologic column, but what about all those other ones? You know, carbon dating, radiometric dating, all that potassium argon, all that really big names. Don't they use those? And that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt. We've been here for millions and millions of years. That's a great question, John. Once again, you're on the ball. And uh, uh, Al, I'm sure you're getting ready to ask that too. But uh, uh, let's take a look at their uh, supposed dating methods using those dating methods, carbon dating, potassium argon, all that other stuff. You tell me we haven't been lied to. This is ridiculous. Creations stump them all the time. I love this stuff. Uh, first of all, here's one. New wood from actively growing trees has been dated 10,000 years old. Hey, Mary, that's 10,000 years old. Right? Okay. The new lava dome from Mount St. Helens was formed in 1986. We know that. Nobody can dispute that, right? Fresh lava, fresh rock made right then. In 1997, 11 years later, five specimens were taken from this dome from five different locations subjected to conventional potassium argon dating. The creationists did it on purpose, didn't tell them where they came from, but they knew how old these rocks were, 11 years old. They put them through that dating method and the results indicated ages of less than one half to almost three million years old from an 11 year old rock. Yep, this is exact science, what we're dealing with here, folks. How dare you question? Uh, mortar from an Oxford castle in England gave the age of 7,270 years old. The only problem was the castle was built only 800 years ago. Okay, <laughs> oops. Uh, lunar soil collected from the Apollo 11 gave ages differing methods from 2.3 billion to 8.2 billion, all from the rocks in the same location. First of all, how would you like to have that variance the next time you fill out your taxes? I was close enough. <laughs> yeah, you'd be going to jail. Okay, but these guys get away with it? Excuse me? All right, let's continue on. Shells from living snails were carbon dated as being 27,000 years old. 
There's 27,000 years old, Pastor Billy. That's right, Junior. You're on the ball. You're paying attention. Uh, uh, freshly killed seal was carbon dated as having died 1,300 years ago. Okay, here's one of my favorites. One part of a mammoth was carbon dated 29,500 years old. Another part of the exact same mammoth, 44,000 years old. Now, logically, if that were true, that means that was one slow birth. How many of you ladies would like to believe in evolution and give birth for 14,500 years? My wife doesn't want to do that either, okay? Three hours was long enough. That's right. But uh, anyway, that's good. another part of a frozen mammoth was 40,000 years old. Another part of the exact same mammoth, 26,000 years old. And the wood surrounding the carcass right there with it, uh, 9 to 10,000 years old. That's totally messed up. This is one of my favorite quotes. It's actually in the book. It's actually printed. It's like, are you serious? Listen to this, folks. This is my favorite. J.B. Birdsell in his book, Human Evolution, said, in the last two years, John, <laughs> an absolute date <laughs> has been obtained. I'm an absolute, dare we question, for the Gandong beds above the Trindle beds, for those of you wondering. Okay, here's the absolute date. It has the very interesting value of 300,000 years, plus or minus 300,000 years. <laughs> it's actually printed in a book. <laughs> What? And this is supposed to be an exact science. And not only that, folks, listen to this. They admit that the results can be tampered with. I mean, they're erratic, and they know it. And they admit that they throw out the dates that they don't want. Okay, listen to this, folks. H.C. Uh, Dudley, he said, aside from all the other contamination problems, everything hinges on unchanging decay rates. He noted five different ways that they could be changed. It's completely unstable. Okay, he said this, he actually changed the decay rates of 14 different radioisotopes by means of pressure can mess up the dates, temperature can mess up the dates, electric and magnetic fields can mess up the dates, and stress. And then he cited research from Westinghouse Laboratories that says that you could change the rates simply by placing inactive iron next to radioactive lead. A piece of iron can mess it up. And this is supposed to be exact, but it gets even worse. This guy, Ranicelli, he said as much as 80% of the potassium in a small sample of an iron meteorite can be removed by distilled water in 4.5 hours. Water could mess up the reading of the dates with these dating methods. Wait a second. Wasn't there a time, according to the Bible, that this whole planet was covered by water? Which means if that were true, and it was, then all their goofball dating methods would be completely off whack. Nothing would be accurate, right? One guy was honest enough to admit it. Here's a direct quote. Frederick Juneman, he said, just one catastrophe, such as the worldwide flood, would throw all the dating clocks off. Immense contamination of all radioactive sources would occur. In other words, not one of their goofball methods, with all due respect, would even be close to being accurate according to those factors, which means they know it, we're being lied to. I got one more to share with you because this is the nail in the coffin, folks. You, you sit there, when you, if you want to play a little game with them, say, okay, I'll ignore all the evidence for intelligent design. I'll journey down that fairy tale land with you. Millions and billions of years. I'll even give you all that. I just want from you, I just want your best shot. Give me your best evidence of evolution. Believe it or not, I'm going to share with you folks uh, uh, an interview from Richard Dawkins, one of the world's leading evolutionists, and you tell me, when he was challenged with this question, give me your best evidence, ready, Go! You tell me how much evidence just starts popping out at the top of his head. This is, this is really cool. Check this out. Professor Dawkins, can you give an example of a genetic mutation or an evolutionary process which can be seen to increase the information in the genome? Dare we scoff, folks, at the hardcore evidence? That's one of the world's top leading guys right there. He just, wow, what was that? What, at least 14 examples? Bang, bang, bang. He's about them all. <laughs> Nully, nothing was coming off the top of his head. Nothing was coming out of that guy's mouth. And so here's, to me, is the logical question. Why? Why are these guys doing this? I mean, I, I, with all due respect, I'll guarantee a lot of those guys, they are much more intelligent than you and I. Their, their IQ is probably way off the chart. I'll, I'll give them that. I'm not saying they're not intelligent. Why do they persist? Why do they do this in the face of all the common sense logical evidence? Well, believe it or not, folks, the Bible tells us it's another sign. 
We're living in the last days, and it's evolution that's pulling us off. Second Peter, he tells us about this. Uh, chapter 3, verse 3 through 7, he says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, what kind of society is it going to be? Scoffers, oh, you Christians, you wacky people. We've been here for millions and millions of years. This watch evolved by millions. They come and they scoff. And, and, and the last days are going to come. And what are they going to do? They're going to be following their own evil desires. Not science, their own evil desires. And here's what they're going to scoff. Here's what they're going to say. Tell me this doesn't sound familiar. Where's his coming he's promised? You know, they mock us for thinking Jesus is coming back. Hey, ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget. Can I translate that with all due respect? What are you doing when you deliberately forget something? You're choosing to be dumb on purpose. Right? I would rather ignore all the evidence and go down a completely insane route. Here's what this says. They're not like a scoff. They're going to do that in the last days against what? That long ago, creation was real. That God's word, by that God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And they're also going to be deliberately forgetting about his first judgment and second judgment. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment of the destruction of ungodly men. The Bible says in the last days, scoffers would come who would not only deliberately forget about the facts of God's creation, but listen, it tells us the reason why. Why are these men doing this? Why do they persist? You have all this evidence. I guarantee you they're very intelligent. Why do you do it? If you were paying attention there, it says that they're doing it not because of science, it's because of sin. They don't want there to be a God. They refuse to believe in a God. They deliberately forget the facts. I'm going to go this direction on purpose. Because I want to follow my ungodly desires. The Bible says when you see that happen on the planet, you're living in the last days. And believe it or not, they admit it. Listen to these quotes. We, 2 Peter 3 is happening before our very eyes. George Wald, he states this. He says, when it comes to the origin of life, there's only two possibilities. They know this, folks. He says, a creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. Okay? He says, spontaneous generation was What? disproved 100 years ago. But that leads us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. Listen, we cannot accept that on scientific grounds. No, philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible. We choose to deliberately forget that life arose spontaneously by chance. It's not because of scientists. Arthur Keith, he's the author of 20 books defending evolution, said evolution is what? unproved and unprovable. We believe it because the only alternative is special creation, and that is unthinkable. Remember, they're doing it because they want to follow their ungodly desires. Two quotes, and I'm done. Huxley said, I suppose the reason why we all jumped at the origin, Darwin's origin of species, evolution, was because the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores. What did 2 Peter 3 say? They want to follow their ungodly desires. That's the only reason why they're doing this. And finally, I had to share this one. Bertrand Russell, he's an evolutionist philosopher, was, said the idea of getting rid of God, which is what evolution does, freed me up to my erotic desires. That's why they are repeating this lie over and over and over again. And yet we are told, don't you dare question this hardcore scientific data. How dare you believe in the Bible? Folks, the Bible warned us 2,000 years ago that it's not going to have anything to do with science. It's going to have everything to do with sin. And when you see this arise on the planet, it's a sign you are living in the last days. What more does God have to do? How much more proof does he have to give us, guys? This is why God has given us the sign of the rise of falsehood, including the sign today with the rise of the falsehood of the teaching of evolution to show us that the tribulation's near. We're in the last days. This is why Jesus said, Luke 21, uh, 28, when these things begin to take place, when you see evolution on the planet, when you see scientists who deliberately forget the evidence of God's creation, who mock his second coming just so they can follow their sexual mores, you better stand up, Christian. You better lift up because your redemption is drawing near. That's the last day society, 2 Peter chapter 3. And so the point is this, folks. If you're here today and you're a Christian, this time we get busy. How many of you guys have learned yet that as Christians, we will never agree on everything, right? You guys are out there still thinking it's healthy to eat chicken. I'm just, <laughs> I'm still trying. 
But folks, if we really believe that we live in the last days, let's put up or shut up. Let's start working together. And let's get busy doing great things for Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the point for the Christian as we long for his appearing. Number two, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I beg you, please, would you please heed the evidence today? Would you deal with the facts? This is all documented. You've been lied to. God is real. He really exists. And I challenge you, please, reverse your thinking before it's too late. We'll close in prayer after this video. Let's take a look. I will live my life according to these beliefs. God does not exist. It's just foolish to think that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. That an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world is a comforting thought. However, it is only wishful thinking. People can do as they please without eternal consequences. The idea that I am deserving of hell because of sin is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. The more you have, the happier you will be. Our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. In a world with no God, there's freedom to be who I want to be. But with God, life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. Without God, everything is fine. It is ridiculous to think I am in need of saving. And that's how I felt before Christ opened my eyes, changed my heart, and reversed my thinking. I am lost and in need of saving. It is ridiculous to think everything is fine without God. Life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. But with God, there is freedom to be who I want to be. In a world with no God, our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. The more you have, the happier you will be is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. Because of sin, I am deserving of hell. The idea that people can do as they please without eternal consequences is only wishful thinking. It is a comforting thought, however, that an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world, that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. It's foolish to think God does not exist. I will live my life according to these beliefs. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die... And it's coming for each one of us. We're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, You shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate 
that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com, or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.